Bet you're running more online meetings than you ever have. In this episode, Bonnie and I share our tips and strategies for leading online meetings with success. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 472. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Normally, the first Monday of the month, we are tackling questions from you, and we will be doing that in future first Mondays. You can send over your questions to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. However, today we wanted to take a little bit of a different look at something that's extremely timely for many of us, which is how to run an online meeting. And many of you know that Bonnie and I have been doing a lot of this, not only recently, but actually we've both been running and facilitating and being involved with online meetings for many, many years. And we've seen a lot, like you have online, on advice on this over the last couple of months. And now that many people are doing this a lot more, and some of the initial advice has gotten out there, and you've had many iterations of running online meetings, we wanted to jump in and perhaps provide some additional perspective, some nuance, a bit of strategy that we haven't yet heard as much in other spaces. So uh, with that, I'm glad to welcome back Bonnie Stahoviak to the show and help me to tackle this topic. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. I was chuckling as you introduced the topic because I was thinking about, you know, online meetings. That's something I'm increasingly growing my experience in every single hour of every single day. Okay, not quite that, but not quite that much, but uh, been doing well, it a lot. Been kind of like that the last uh, few <laughs> yes. weeks. And, uh, and not just the two of us, but also compounded with we have two children, one that is six, the other that is eight, who also now have their own online meetings to attend and participate in. I think there have been, there's been at least a couple of times that all four of us are literally on a video meeting all at the same time between school stuff, my work, your work. And so there you go. This is our life. And so since we're all immersed in the midst of it, we thought we'd see if we can hit on a few essentials, talk about some technology, some of the things and considerations to handle around that's a little different in running online meetings. But I think let's start first of all with some of the essentials around running a meeting that really should be similar whether you're running a meeting in person or whether you're running a meeting online. And I think for a lot of us, we're pretty good most of the time, at least we've had some experience of doing this in person. And yet there is the tendency when we make the transition to online to sometimes forget about good meeting management rules. And so first, a a bit of a reminder on some of the things that are key as far as running a good meeting. First and foremost, I'm thinking back to Mamie Canfer-Stewart, who was on the show a while back. She is the host of the Modern Manager podcast, and she really helped us to frame how to manage meetings well. I'm going to put a link in the notes to that conversation. All of it is still very relevant in the online environment. And one of the key things that she invites us to do is to make sure that we're clear on what the purpose of the meeting is. And there's six areas that she has identified in her work. And the six are the purpose to connect people, to align on a direction, to make a decision, to ideate or brainstorm, to plan, and then finally to produce something. 
And those six things are really things I think for most of us, we should be looking for at least one of them, if it may be a couple, depending on the meeting, in deciding how we're going to put together a meeting. Uh, and if it's not meeting one of those six purposes, I think that that's a, that's a good pause point for us in running a meeting of deciding if we are going to actually do a meeting or maybe do something else. And just one example of this, you notice the first one there was connect. It is okay and in fact, probably super helpful in a lot of situations to have a meeting just to get people connected right now. We've been doing that within the academy of doing some listening sessions and there's not much of an agenda other than folks showing up. We have a facilitator who's one of our academy members who's uh, got, has some spare time now because of work situation and so has jumped in and is helping lead some of those listening sessions. And the purpose is just to get people connected to allow people to share experiences, to talk about things they're struggling with, and not necessarily give advice or have any outcomes, but just to give people space. And I've heard many great examples of organizations doing this, of getting people together for like a virtual lunch hour and folks are you know, eating their lunch or whatever, or having like a virtual uh, happy hour. There's a lot of ways to do this, but I think if, you're, if your organization or you haven't found any way to kind of provide a little bit of a virtual water cooler, that's an opportunity for a meeting purpose that maybe isn't apparent as we get started here. Dave, I'm so glad that you've emphasized these meeting basics. I mean, of course, these things are true, whether we're meeting in person or if we're meeting online. And I just really want to stress this, that the answer to the challenge you are attempting to solve is so often not a live, what is known as a synchronous meeting. There are so many things that we can do to accomplish the aims that Dave just talked about that can happen in an unscheduled way or an asynchronous way. And an example of a tool that Dave actually introduced to me fairly recently is a video tool called BombBomb. That's BOMB, B-O-M-B, the word twice because it's cool and hip to have the same word twice bomb bomb and <laughs> i just it's so it's so simple but in its simplicity is its power and that is that you open an app and you press to record a video and you record a video and then you're done and then you send it <laughs> like there's no uploading there's no file management i mean it just is a simple simple tool that could allow you to connect really well that's what i've been able to do like just one-on-one videos although you certainly could post one of these videos to a group as well but just the power in those personal connections my area of expertise is involved in teaching and learning and so I get interested in grading, for example. You can grade like the, you know, those of us that grew up with the red pen approach, you know, on paper, but now as we are all shifting to more virtual environments, you can still essentially grade with the red pen on a document, but you also can provide audio files in terms of grading, and then you also can provide video. And the literature would show that you're not going to necessarily you know, change the learning outcomes that are possible from these various grading methods or feedback methods, I should say, but that the learners perceive a greater connection and are more able to understand and do something with the feedback. And of course, the literature on teaching and learning is really complex. Learning itself is a very messy, complex process. But I think there's something for us to take away from that as leaders, just the power that we could have with a quick video message of encouragement. And I I like that as well. 
Yeah, I'd like to say a little more about BombBomb, actually, because it really answered a pain point for me. And and also, full disclosure, we are an affiliate with them. So if we'll put a link in the notes and in this week's guide. So if you use that link, you get a free trial, but it also would uh, pay a referral fee to us if you decided to try it out for your organization. So we'll say more about it in a bit. But the pain point I was running into of as someone who facilitates a virtual academy that's worldwide and we have people in all different time zones and we do have a lot of live sessions, but they're set at certain times and we might go a week or two between those live sessions, depending on the person and situation. And so that left me with basically two ways to communicate to people. One is by email or some other form of written communication you know, on the form or whatever, or a live interaction, which is great for our scheduled sessions, but catching people with time zones in different places is hard. And I found that there were times, both in my work previously, but also what I'm doing now, that I really wanted someone to get the richness of how I was saying a message, my facial expressions, and especially if I just had something I needed to tell them, but I didn't necessarily want to write out a four-paragraph email and worry about, are they going to hear the context the wrong way? But at the same time, I don't necessarily want to set up a meeting just to talk at them for four minutes on something that they need to know. And especially now, that's really it's so hard to schedule, as you all know, times and with people and homes and kids and all that stuff. And so I found BombBomb to be really powerful because I I pull out my phone, I open the app, I record a video, it uploads in like three seconds and it gives me a link. And unlike a lot of the video sharing things that mostly I tried a bunch of them and mostly they break and seem to be unreliable, this one generates the link and and you can send it anywhere and it's super easy and and people can watch it on any device. And our academy members really love it when they, I mean, they've told me at least they love it. Maybe someone doesn't love it, but I find it really helpful. I probably do one or two a day. So it's not like it's by any means the majority of my communications, but at those times that it is helpful for context, that is better then setting up a meeting, scheduling it three days out, and you've got all that time delay of waiting to give people the right information that you didn't necessarily want to send over email. So I found it to be really helpful for being able to do that. Dave has shared the importance of defining the meeting purpose. And we've talked a little bit about don't always feel like you have to do things synchronously or in a scheduled way, that there are other ways to connect, to align, to decide, etc. And If you're going to have an online meeting or any meeting, make sure it's necessary to have other people there. Notice that Dave didn't say to inform because information can come through less time restrictive approaches. And so one of the big things is to have in your mind already approaches to get people engaging right away. And Dave and I are going to be sharing about some of the tools that we can use specifically in an online context. But no matter how you're meeting, make sure you've thought about the important roles that the other people who are attending are going to play. And this, in my experience, happens more naturally in person. So it makes sense to have someone start off a meeting or kick off or do some rapport building or to get people talking maybe one-on-one and at some point in the meeting. And my experience has been that this doesn't happen as naturally online, that you really have to think this through a little bit more proactively of, okay, I'm going to start off maybe by asking a question and uh, doing an icebreaker question. And I'm going to maybe utilize some of these tools to get people interacting in a different way. And we're going to take 15 minutes to talk about this. I I find you need to plan more time. And I've heard someone say in our community, Bonnie, in the last week or two of like, 
you know, I'm finding that I'm planning the online meetings less. Like we just kind of hop on Zoom or whatever and we start talking. And I said, well, that's really interesting because I've had the exact opposite experience over the years of I feel like I need to spend more time planning an online meeting. I need to be more intentional of putting the boundaries in place of how we're going to use different interaction points, the technology, the tools, the resources, because you do need to plan some of that in advance to do it well. And as you do it, you will get better at it, as we'll talk about it in a bit. But it's like flexing any kind of muscle. The more you do it, and if you do a little bit of thinking in advance of how you're going to use agenda time, I think you're going to get a much better result of being able to utilize those tools. So let's explore then some of the ways that we can use the technology to accomplish the aim of making sure people are engaged in the meetings. One of the tools that I found to be super helpful at changing things up a bit when you are connecting is to do something that in Zoom is called breakout rooms. And I think most of the online meeting services have some version of this now, where rather than having everyone together in one channel, so you know, eight or nine or 10 people, however many it is, all kind of staring at each other, is at some point in the, the meeting to look for where's the opportunity to get people talking one-on-one and engaged. And that is super helpful. It's worth spending a few minutes figuring that out. And if you've never used that before, I would invite you to just hop on, try it out, get a friend or a partner or someone who is willing to try it out with you and just get used to turning that on, turning it off, how to start a breakout, how to stop a breakout, because it really will help a lot of changing up the dynamic in the meeting. And you you don't end up with the situation where even if you have a pretty interactive conversation going on, that there's three or four people that are tuning out or just feel like they're staring at their screen for 45 minutes or whatever the time frame is. It helps to get people talking. And then in turn, it gets more dialogue going for the rest of the conversation. We think to do that a lot of times naturally in person, uh, or at least more often. We don't do that with online meetings unless we've thought in advance, okay, here's a point where I could probably break people up into two or three groups and actually be able to have some dialogue. And that's where things like brainstorming, making decisions that can be really helpful as far as being able to surface some of that, depending on the purpose of the meeting. Another great tool for engagement are to use polls. It could be a poll that you've planned in advance. And I echo what Dave said about the importance of planning out these opportunities for engagement in online meetings, but it also could be something that comes up on the fly. So someone's brought up an idea and you're realizing this is coming to a decision point. And then you could just get a feel of the perspective of the group as a whole by conducting an on the fly poll. Another great opportunity for engagement, and I'm seeing this so much in my own work and in my teaching, is to use the chat. This is sometimes referred to as the back channel. So you have someone talking, it might be you, it might be other people, but you also can have questions coming in via a chat box. You can have comments. Um, sometimes I find that that's some oftentimes where humor might go, insert joke here, and you see it show up. I can say that for many people, it can be challenging to keep track of what's happening in a chat box in addition to speaking. I happen to have a superpower to be rather good at it, but depending on the context that you're having a meeting, I mean, sometimes when you get a large group of people, 
then it really can be flowing in there pretty fast. So if you do have a larger group of people or a context where you're having difficulty keeping track of that, that's a wonderful opportunity to set a role up for someone else besides you to take that role of watching the chat box and responding and then making sure you regularly open up the opportunity for them to share what's been happening there and are there any questions that came up that you didn't have a chance to answer as well. Starting with one of those three tools, if you haven't used them before, will get you moving forward the process of engagement with the conversation. So now now that we've talked a bit on technology, let's talk about the audio part of having an online meeting. And I know a lot of folks are using video now too, but first on audio, one of the pieces of advice that I have seen out there a lot in the last few months and generally here on how to utilize audio well is make sure you have everyone mute. And I'm not quite sure why that's blanket advice. I think sometimes that advice comes from people who are regularly used to doing large presentations and having meetings with 40 or 50 or 100 people on there or large webinars. If it is the case where you've got a large number of people online, and I think a large number is when you're getting into the double digits or more, then yes, having people go on mute and you as the meeting host of muting everyone, most of the tools have a button that says mute all. And using that, if you're getting tons of background noise, is absolutely the thing to do. However, I think in most cases, for many of the meetings that folks in our community are leading, I know many of you have teams that are five or 10 people, and the meeting that you are in the process of doing might be six people, or might be eight people, or might be four people. I would invite you to consider having a different rule. And we have the expectation, for example, within our academy sessions, which are generally somewhere between five to seven people, of we don't use mute. And we only use mute if there truly is loud noise going on in the background or kids or family or some kind of thing going on outside. But my invitation and even borderline expectation of our academy members is please stay off mute unless there is noise going on in the background. And the reason for that is because you don't get all of those awkward um, pauses that come up in conversation where someone starts talking and you can see they're talking, but you can't hear them because they're on mute and you have to, everyone has to jump in and say, hey, you're on mute. And then you have to stop. And that person has to go and unmute themselves and they wait and you, you ruin the cadence of the conversation. And then someone says something funny and people laugh, but you don't hear it because everyone's on mute. And it's just, it's very awkward and it can be very cold. And I think we really miss the opportunity for real human interaction. And so uh, my invitation to you is consider if you haven't done this, especially if it's a small group of people, less than 10, try doing it without mute. And then you as the host, if you do hear background noise, and I always tell folks in our academy groups, if I hear some background noise coming from your line, and most of the tools are pretty good at showing you which line it is, I may mute you. Don't take it personally. I'm just trying to make sure that we all have good audio quality. And I always frame this in the, we want to have good audio quality for everyone. So if you can try that, I think it's worth trying because I think you're going to find that the conversation flows better the decisions you're trying to do in meetings, the brainstorming becomes so much more natural if you're not waiting for people to mute and unmute in sessions. When I'm interviewing someone for my podcast, oftentimes their preference is to be able to have us see each other during that. So I use a web conferencing tool called Zoom to record said podcasts. And it's kind of funny which people just prefer not to have the video and which which don't. But one of the things that often surprises them is the size of the microphones that Dave and I record on. And I always get the question of like, what kind of microphone is that? How much does something like that cost? 
when we talk about having good audio quality, we aren't necessarily, unless you plan on going into podcasting specifically, but we aren't talking about something that costs a lot of money. In my experience, even the free little earbuds that come with a lot of cell phones today that have a microphone that is right around your neck usually, you know, the the point at which the two cords that are going to your ears come together, because those earbuds get the microphone closer to your mouth, you're just going to have better quality. So relying on, for example, whether you have a laptop or if you have a desktop computer, relying on the microphone that is sitting down against a desk, which is just begging for echoes to be happening and muffled sounds is really not the way to go. So our advice in terms of audio quality is to get the microphone closer to your mouth and to get the sound right inside your ears. (laughs) So because if you don't have it right inside your ears, what can happen is that the sound comes out of maybe a set of speakers and goes right back in through a microphone and creates that kind of awful feedback echoing sound that you hear. So the best case scenario is just get yourself a, a, you can get a headset. I know Dave has a little bit nicer ones that he likes to recommend, but anything that's going to get a microphone closer to your mouth and that sound in your ears is absolutely sort of the bottom line of what you should expect of yourself in terms of these sessions. And by the way, I did want to mention, I own a pair of Apple's AirPods Pro, I always forget the name of them. I really like them because I like that they connect via Bluetooth and I like to be able to stand up. We are most of us spending more time on video meetings these days. And so I just like to be able to stand up and stretch and my chair, I haven't told Dave this yet. Dun, dun, dun. My chair has just been not supporting my back very well. And it keeps like the adjustment. It'll it'll slowly throughout the day just go down. And I find myself sort of sinking into the chair. Oh. And so I'm finding really the need to be able to stand up and stretch a little bit, even if that wasn't happening with my chair. So that's our advice as far as audio quality goes. And I know Dave has a couple other tips to recommend as well. I am on a mission to get everyone on headsets. And to your point, laptops are awful. The built-in mics, we don't let people record on that when we have guests on our show. But also, if someone's typing on a laptop and the microphone's built in, it's really, really awful. If you make one investment of hardware for your team right now, I would highly recommend getting people on a headset. The other advantage of using a headset and actually over a fancy microphone, the problem with the fancy microphones, even the ones we use, is they pick up a ton that's going on in the background. And especially with a lot of people at home right now and kids and all that, you may have a fancy mic, but unless you're right on top of it and you know proper mic technique, you're going to get a lot of the background stuff. And the advantage of using a headset is almost always the headsets don't pick up a lot of background noise. So in addition to all the benefits Bonnie mentioned is you get a quality headset, you don't run into the background noise, and it's just so much easier. And the the one that I recommend, the line, is the Jabra Evolve line. I have one of them. It's fabulous. They're a little more expensive than some of the cheaper ones, but they're also super comfortable to wear for many hours. So get yourself a headset, get your team a headset, because if you do, you're going to get a lot better audio quality from your conversations. The other thing I wanted to mention, which to me seems basic, but I'm cracking up because I totally fell for this the other day. I was interviewed by a very major news organization within the higher education context the other day, and I was all set and ready with my AirPods Pro because Dave was actually down here recording a podcast, so I couldn't quite go pro with that particular video recording. 
And they're like, oh yeah, I don't, it doesn't sound good or whatever. And it was, they were using a web conferencing tool that I wasn't familiar with. And even though to me, it looked like they were hearing me through the microphones on that device, they were hearing me. I must've been through my muffled computer. Just like everything I just described as far as not to do. But to me, because the sound was coming into my ears, I just assumed that it had connected properly and also included connecting to the microphone. So keep in mind, all of these web conferencing systems have both input settings, as in your microphone, and they have output settings, as in speakers or headphones, that kind of thing. So you always want to just get in the practice of double checking that because it can seem like everything is set and ready to go for the highest quality of sound, but it actually can be set wrong and and you just don't even notice it. I have a colleague, by the way, you know, you hear a lot about the challenges people have been having. He uses hearing aids and he thinks that this whole web conferencing thing is the best thing in the world. He said it is the first time in his entire experience teaching actually being able to hear everything that every student has to say. And he just Uh, loves it. He absolutely loves it. So there are some opportunities when we get that sound into our ear. And speaking of which, of course, not everyone is able to hear either. So there's all these really cool advancements that are coming where you can actually have a live transcript, whether you've used this on Google Slides, there is the ability to have captions appearing right as you're talking, also on Microsoft PowerPoint. And then even within, I don't know if you've seen this, but Zoom soon will have it where the transcript is actually going right into the chat box as people are talking. It's really, really pretty remarkable what's possible. I have to say one more thing on this that I forgot earlier is if you are leading a meeting and you cannot hear someone well, their audio is bad, they're not connected well, the microphone's not working, whatever, I think you really owe it to them to say something about it. Because if you don't say something about it, they're never going to know and it's highly unlikely anyone else in the meeting is going to bring it up and say something. And so even if you don't say it in the moment, if you put it in the chat privately or say it afterwards, I have on many occasions brought something to someone's attention after a meeting and they had no idea that their mic was bad, that their headset was seven years old and they hadn't used it since whenever and it wasn't working well. You really just owe it to people to tell them and let them know, let them correct it. I always make an open invitation to the folks in our community and our academy members to, you know, if you're trying new equipment, if you're not sure it's working ping me anytime. Let's get on the line and figure it out because you spending five or 10 minutes of helping them to get really good audio quality is going to make every meeting for the next six months so much more rich and easy to hear them and all those things. So it's absolutely worth the time to call it out. Again, not necessarily in front of in front of a large group, but to tell them so that they can correct it and you can work with them to find the right equipment and the right connection point. We've looked at what you hear. Now let's shift our focus over to what you see, beginning with lighting. So the biggest piece of advice with lighting is get light in front of you and not behind you. People ask me on video sessions all the time, like, what kind of lights are you using? What is it? I love the lighting. Do you ever get this? I'm just laughing because I know what the answer is going to be. It's this amazing circle in the sky. It is. It is the amazing circle in the sky. I literally, we have our computer set and the webcam. So there's a window right in front of us. So I'm looking at the computer and then there's a window right behind it. And that's it. There's no other lighting in the, at night. The lighting is horrible in the room that we are in right now, our studio. So 
that's the single best thing you can do is just if you can't see someone, again, to the earlier point, you're not going to have great conversation and connection if someone's on video. If you can't see them and their face looks dark, you know, everyone sort of knows like, okay, well, they're not in a good spot, lighting and all that. But there's something psychologically that you're just, they're not as present in the meeting. You're not going to listen as closely to someone that you cannot see. They're not going to be perceived as contributing to the meeting, especially if there's a decision maker or a customer on the line. You really want to do a little bit just to get the lighting right. And the very best thing you can do is just face a window, make sure you don't have a bright window behind you or a bright source behind you. And if you give that advice to everyone on your team, and again, you can practice this in different spots or just turn around, it makes the biggest difference. You don't need fancy lighting, just find a window and you'll be in really good shape 90% of the time. You want to be thinking about the other light sources in your room as well. So if Dave mentioned the light that's behind you, sometimes people will point the camera up too high and it's actually pointing at a light then behind that person's head or above their head. That can be terribly distracting. In fact, Dave knows this. I've been I joined the website TikTok, which seems like it's only for the young whippersnappers, but I will tell you us uh, grown-ups and beyond. Uh, there's a lot of good content for us there. And so a lot of the comedians that are joking about web conferencing, you know, the inside web conferencing jokes, there's often jokes that are built in just with someone having a light source above their head. Like, why don't put the camera down? Like, look at yourself and see what can be seen behind you. And if there's a giant light source that is shining right into the camera, perhaps you can adjust your camera so that it's not pointing directly at it. If you don't have a, li- a light source that will bring in that natural light, that is so powerful. And by the way, it's not just amateurs in terms of lighting like Dave and I. Professional videographers will often go first to where the natural light is. It's not. It's something that's commonly used. But if you don't have that, there are relatively inexpensive things that you can purchase where it will bring in natural looking light. And for me, I like the ones that have the LED, but you can adjust to more warmer light tones and cooler light tones, depending on what your needs are. And so that's another resource for you. You want to be thinking also about, I mentioned looking in the camera. So look at what they see when they see you. And you want your face relatively, you know, to be filling the picture to uh, some extent so that they can see the expressions on your face and be able to know that you're really connecting with them and engaging with them. So not being super far away or having the camera point right up to your chin. I'm I'm always good about avoiding that because I don't really like that look for myself. So I like to have the camera slightly above and then pointing down. So we just give a little bit of an illusion around the chin area, uh, something that I do. And by the way, that happens automatically if you have it sitting on top of a monitor. So if you're using an external monitor and then your webcam already is slightly above your eye level as I'm describing, but if you're using a laptop, this is a time where you need to get it set up where it's not sitting on your desk pointing up your nostrils. Not a good look for any of us. (laughs) So you want to raise it up. Is there a stack of books or something, a shelf or something like that where it can be raised up? And then you might need an external keyboard if it's necessary for you to be able to type. Otherwise, you're going to be typing kind of like a dinosaur style where (laughs) you have tiny arms to, to try to do that. So you just really need to think through that. I mean, another option would be that you get some kind of an external webcam that can be at that higher level where then you could use the laptop at a more natural level for yourself. But it's really important that that camera, I mean, it really gives a lot of 
unspoken information about your level of attention and care and listening and all of that, it really does make a difference, even though you might just think like, well, why does any of this matter? It it really can make a difference. One of the complaints I've heard from folks in the last few months, Bonnie, is they're like, well, we did video before, but it was really different than this. Like, the video was zoomed out and you could see the whole room and you could see six or seven people sitting in the room. And video on a personal device is much different. And if you want to have um, really good presence and a voice and executive presence in a video meeting, doing what Bonnie suggests is, I think, really smart in most cases of have the video. You shouldn't be so zoomed out that you can see your whole body because then you can't really see your face. You want to be zoomed in a little closer to the camera. So the frame is catching your face, maybe you know halfway down your chest. If you can see your whole body, you're too far out zoomed on the camera. So get in there. And I know it's I know that's different if you haven't done that a lot before. You do get used to it as you do it more. And so if you're willing to do that a bit, it's going to help you to show up in a much more confident way to the other folks who are showing up in the meeting. There are a couple of resources that Dave's going to be including in the show notes on behalf of me. He's very good that way. And one of them has to do with Zoom fatigue. It's from the Harvard Business Review. I found it to be a very nuanced, intelligent look at why some of us might be feeling more exhaustion as we participate in these web meetings, more so than we might if we showed up to an in-person one. And the second one has to do really with issues of equity and access when it comes to when we move online. And it's actually something that someone wrote up on LinkedIn. And it's really a powerful, powerful look of things we want to be taken into consideration that some people miss out on in terms of their opportunities to engage when we move things online. So watch for that in the show notes and also in the upcoming weekly update. I'll second the comment on Zoom fatigue. I certainly ran into that, especially when I first started facilitating the Academy four or five years ago and doing a lot of video meetings, I realized, wow, there's a lot more cognitive load of seeing people on screen so close over many hours of the day. And I really do try to limit my uh, camera time to about three, four hours a day if I can. I've heard of some examples of folks in our academy community who have set expectations within their organizations that there's certain parts of the day that we're going to do the online meetings, and then there's certain parts of the day that we're going to let people to do independent work or do you know smaller one-on-one conversations or to you know handle stuff with family and all that. And you know, obviously, all of us have schedules up in the air. Uh, I think that's a that's a nice thing to do if you haven't already done some thinking on that. Is how can you can limit some of that time? I will say it does get easier as you get used to this. I have certainly adjusted to that over the years of doing this and even in the first few months of doing it, Um, but it does take a little bit of adjustment. So we're going to put all the links and resources in this week's weekly leadership guide. So watch for that. In addition, I'll also be putting in the link for those of you who would like to try something like BombBomb. We've got an affiliate with them for you to set up a 14-day free trial. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash BombBomb, B-O-M-B-B-O-M-B, if you want to try it out. And one other thing I want you to know about BombBomb that might be helpful to others you know in your network is BombBomb has been really gracious to allow educators free access to their platform during this time. And so if you know someone who is a teacher or a professor or an education in some way, it's a wonderful tool for them to be able to reach their students and the other people they're communicating with in a way that's really frictionless. So check that out if you know someone who's in that situation and could use another tool to be able to get a message out in a really easy and simple way. 
If this was helpful to you, several other episodes I'd recommend. Episode 358 is one of them, How to Lead Meetings That Get Results. My guest was Mamie Canfer-Stewart on that show. Mamie is an expert on helping leaders facilitate meetings well. She's worked and consulted to organizations for many years on how to really do meetings better, has written a whole book on it. And in episode 358, walked us through some of the key tenets of leading meetings that really do get results. We talked about purpose early on, so much more in episode 358 that is absolutely applicable to online meetings as well. So check that out. It's a great follow-up to this conversation. I'd also recommend in episode 411, seven tools to create margin. In that episode, I walk through some of the technology tools and software that we use for our business and producing the show and managing client relationships, and also just to create a bit more margin and uh, to utilize the technology to automate the things that can be automated so that we can spend more time on the things that we shouldn't automate. So episode 411 will provide you a good overview on some of those tools. I don't think we mentioned any of them in this episode, so that's a whole nother category of places that you can go that'll hopefully help you to navigate the technology even a little bit more effectively. And then speaking of tools, one of them we use is the Mighty Networks platform that facilitates all of our academy conversations, allows our academy members to communicate around the world. It's a fabulous platform. And in episode 460, I talked with Mighty Network's founder and CEO, Gina Bianchini, on the power of why over how. A lot of conversation about vision in that episode. In addition, we talked a little bit about the Mighty Networks platform. I've had a bunch of folks reach out to us in the recent past on uh, asking about how we've used Mighty Networks and are looking for more tools to engage folks either within the organization or outside the organization. And so that's a great starting point for you as well. And then finally, I'd recommend a recent episode from Tom Henschel on the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast. He did an episode just recently on connecting over video, a great compliment to this conversation as well. So if you're looking for uh, some more tools on how to do this well online as we're all learning as we go, Connecting over video from the Look and Sound of Leadership is a great resource for you as well. All of those episodes you can find linked on the coachingforleaders.com website. And once you get in there with the free membership, you'll be able to search the entire library by topic. Uh, Just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, and once you do, you'll be able to search by topic. In addition, you'll get access to the entire weekly leadership guide, all of my book notes, all of the member cast audios, plus a ton more that are benefits of free memberships. So just go over to coachingforleaders.com, take a few seconds to set that up. You will be off and running. And I get an email, uh, I don't know, maybe once or twice a month, folks will uh, reach out to me and say, hey, uh, this free membership is great. I love being able to search by topic inside the website, but I'd also like Can I just get a whole list of the episodes in order? We haven't done that on the website because traditionally that's been on the apps. And you've all heard me mention before, we can only list the most recent 300 episodes on many of the public directories. However, we have now beefed up the feed on the back end. So while it is still true that you only see the most recent 300 episodes on some of the public directories, including Apple Podcasts, The minute you hit the subscribe button, you should see the entire library from episode one. So on just about any app you're using these days, you can, uh, if you subscribe, you'll get the entire library. Uh, Hope that lasts for a while, but at least for now, it's all available. So check that out. Next week, if you do subscribe, the next conversation you're getting next Monday is Simon Sinek. He's back to teach us how to embrace a just cause. Join me next Monday with Simon Sinek. Take care, everyone. Bye.